By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. It's been a long time, I think, since our buddies here have been on the show, but we wanted to bring Mike and Eli from Chasing Scratch back on the sweet spot because I feel like we are partner shows. They cross over very well. A lot of you listening to our show listen to their show and vice versa. And we kind of wanted to touch base with you guys. It's been a while and see or hear your learnings over the last year and your journey. I love it. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. Of course. We love you guys. I <laughs> Can we start off by just saying we love you? Is that a good way to start? <laughs> Let's go around and just say one, pick one, one thing. One thing we really like about attracts, each other. Attracts you to the other person. <laughs> the magnetism. I would say cue the Adam music, but this isn't our show because <laughs> I feel like, John, you need some sort of music that we need to add in now just for my We've been doing this but... for, I don't know, three years now, something like that, and- we have no music. We've got nothing. And I don't think <laughs> we literally have nothing. We just hit the record button and that's it. I don't think we're ever going to have anything at this point. I like it. Minimalist yeah. approach. It's fantastic. That's right. how we do it. Because you guys have so much substance, you don't need anything else. We don't have much substance, so we have to add in lots of stuff. The final major on YouTube was all CGI. <laughs> We're going to get to a question that's relevant to what you just said from a listener that we got on Twitter. I think you know what the question is, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm excited about that one. We're going to get to that from at Green Jobs USA 1. So 
we didn't use any oil at all in the final major either. If that's if that's no. helpful for Mr. Green Jobs, also we drove Leafs. <laughs> for the folks who might be living under a podcast rock, Mike and Eli are college buddies who made a pact. I don't know how many years ago it was at this point. Six, five. How many years has it been, guys? Six. Seven. It'll be this our be seventh, seventh year starts next year. Yeah. Wow. So. These two were shaky 10, 11 handicaps, and one day they decided to start a podcast to get to scratch, and a lot's happened. It's a, a huge – I feel like you guys are – let's just face it. You guys are a cult at this point, right? Like you two are like <laughs> your cult leaders and the Velcron is your cult, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like you guys have formed a golf cult, a really good golf cult, and – I think a lot of people are learning in, in your quest to get better at golf, but there's also these, there's a lot of jokes and, and uh, community behind it, which is very cool to see. So yeah, I think the last time we spoke to you was after probably before last year's final major, but there was some doubt at the end of last season, particularly from Eli. Things got really dark. <laughs> I had a lot of doubt. There yeah. was a lot of doubt if you wanted to continue the show, if you wanted to keep chasing scratch, you felt like it was a cop-out. If we just kept the show going and we're not going to get to scratch. And I, I felt there was something much bigger going on. But if you could, since that moment, there's been a full year plus. If you could summarize, like what's happened since then? What's been the big changes? Well, I think going back to the final major last year, it was more than just we didn't play well, like how we wanted to in the last round. I think it was just, it was the first time in, well, since the beginning of the show that Mike and I honestly felt like we weren't going to be able to hit the goal. Like we just couldn't do it. And, you know, we've talked about this for a while, but our superpower is kind of, it's optimism. Mike and I are just optimistic people. We tend to see the glass half full always. And I think it was the first time that we had hit the point where we were like, we can't get there. Any, like, it's not going to happen next year, period. <laughs> I think both he and I were pretty worried to say that out loud. And we tried to cover it as – and I think it's covered as about as realistic as it can. I mean, we didn't window dress anything, but it was – a when I say it was multiple weeks of like him and I just fumbling over our words with each other, I mean, while we were recording, while we were not recording, I mean, I can remember sitting in the hotel in Charlotte for the VI event after the final major. Like we could have depressed Santa Claus. That, that, like I mean, it would have. But I mean, literally, we were just fumbling over words without the mics being on. It was just like we just can't do it. I mean, would you agree? Santa was in the room, and he just he climbed he back up the chimney. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he looked at you guys. And he went right back up the chimney. He pressed a button to liquidate all the elves. He said, this "Yeah, Christmas is over." No, yeah, I mean, I think it was the first time we've always had something at the end of the season, whether trained observers would say that it was a good reason or not. We've had a reason to say, well, no, we can do this next year because of this. And I think at the end of last year, it was like, no, we know too much now. And we know there's too far to go in these couple of areas. We're not going to do it. We can work hard, but we're not going to do it. And so we had all these ideas to like make the show something that we didn't really want to make it. And so then it was kind of like, well, do we just stop? That's where we got to. And, and like Eli said, we didn't plan to make our last episode last year two parts. We did it in two parts because we did the final major and then there was three weeks of we don't know if we're coming back. And so we worked it all out. But luckily, Dr. J gave us a good word, got us into some Kobe Bryant and mama mentality. 
we started changing the mindset from the destination, moving it to the journey. And that's, that's kind of what yeah, last year was all about. So how'd that work out for you? So how did that go? That was a year ago, right? Over a year ago. It started with a conversation with Dr. J and I actually at the VI. And we were, I think it was the last night and everything had wrapped up and we were all having dinner and hanging out. And he and I were, we got stuck into a kumbaya moment sitting there eating dinner and he talked, I was actually talking to him about my kids, but he started talking about this Kobe video. And the point of the Kobe video was that Kobe didn't, you know, he was in an interview and they asked him about failure and he basically said, failure doesn't exist. The premise behind it was if you go into everything looking to learn something, it's growth over outcomes, then the only way you can possibly fail is by not coming back the next day. And he said, you know, every game I play, you know, whatever it is, he said, it's just an opportunity to learn. And that sounded great. But a year later, I can honestly say Mike and I have fully adopted this and it didn't happen overnight, but it, you know, I think it definitely changed our perspective as to kind of how we were going about this to say, okay, good round, bad round. Like if you play your best, if you crap the bed, you learn something every time you're out there. And, you know, ultimately, and I think that's why sports are so great, but they are the ultimate feedback mechanism. You know, if you really want to know where you lie, like go play a sport because it, it's going to give you feedback in half a second. And I, I think especially competitively in front of people where the pressure and the awkwardness and all that stuff kind of ratchets up, I think the feedback is even more direct. And I think looking back a year ago, that's the part that hurt Mike and I. The feedback he and I had internally was so direct. <laughs> and so there was just no hiding from it. It was like, you don't have it and you can keep doing what you're doing and you're still not going to have it in a year or five years or 10 years. You got to change everything. When I heard that stuff, I was very encouraged because we've talked a lot on our show about goals. And I think there's a million different ways to say the growth mindset. I like to think of it as internal versus external goals. And golf is hard because it pushes you to external goals like handicap goals. I want to win a club championship. It's some some type of measuring stick or number. Like that's what this game makes very easy to do. And that's motivating and helpful. But if that's the only thing that's pushing you and you don't have internal goals, which would be more like, well, I'm going to stick to these habits. I, I'm going to place emphasis on learning, for example, saying no matter how badly or well I play, I'm going to sit down at the end of the round and try and absorb some feedback. And there has to be a mixture of both of them. And I think by the nature of the show called Chasing Scratch, like you had hung this massive external goal over you guys. And that's hard to crawl out under from, especially when you were playing in front of all those people. You guys were down on yourself, but I was there and I saw it and I was like, I remember telling you guys, like, you, you've done something that's putting on a YouTube, playing in front of hundreds of people. Like, everything is easier after that. You go playing a recreational round that will count towards your handicap. It's going to be a lot easier than playing in front of all the Velcron. So, I think that's the only, that is like the way if you want to get some really good at something and have more fun doing it. And golf is like this constant test of not holding the external goals in your mind too often. It's so hard to do. And you you said like, it wasn't easy. So tell us tangibly over the last year, what steps have you taken? 
I know you guys are working on your swing and stuff like that. And your show's kind of become a game improvement show as well. Everyone's watching what you guys are doing to get better. Like what's been going on with your practice and, and your mindset? Like what are some of the changes and internal habits that you're shifting towards? Starting with mindset, like you mentioned the name of the podcast and you're right. We got hung up on the second word of our podcast so much, the scratch word. Several people, when we were considering, you know, when we were in that kind of phase, they, they wrote us and they said, the name of the podcast is Chasing Scratch. <laughs> so like, it's not attaining scratch. It's the chasing part. And like, it's almost like when we changed the mindset, to me, it gave us permission to chase. We weren't so worried and failure was not in the, failure was not tied to the scratch. It was failure was only going to be if you didn't chase. And that just opened up so much stuff for us when we adopted that mindset. Because I think one of the other things where Eli and I were stuck is we thought, well, if this particular line item in my swing or in whatever it is, if, if I need to improve this, if that time frame is not like a six month change, then we kick it out because our whole goal is scratching a year, like yep. every year, scratching a year. So when we kind of got rid of that, it was kind of like, oh, well, no, there's plenty of stuff we can do. Yeah. There's some longer term swing things that we probably both need to work on that we started to tackle immediately once we made that mindset shift where, and I can speak for me, I was scared to take some of those things on before because I was like, well, no, I got to be playing good. <laughs> I got to be playing good, you know, as soon as April hits, because I only got this amount of time to move the handicap down. So I think that was the, I mean, the biggest thing was mindset. Then we also, Eli's got his coach. I don't know how many, he moved his coach in his house with him. He's written <laughs> into the will. <laughs> he actually supersedes a lot of the things that were supposed to go to my kids. <laughs> Larry, he's also got a delicatessen. He sells meat pastries <laughs> in the garage. The Reverend? The Reverend, yeah. The Reverend. Reverend Ward. Reverend Ward. So, I mean... We both commit. Then for me, Jason Nickel was kind of the coach that I signed up with. And we did lessons every week and Eli did lessons every week. And yeah, Eli, take the rest of the tangible examples. Well, I th there's two things that come to mind. I think I had a little bit of a light bulb moment after the season, kind of one of those lines in the sand. I met some old teammates of mine. It was the first time we went back to our alma mater to watch a basketball game together. And... I've gotten to know the head coach at our alma mater, and the game we watched just happened to be this horrible game. I mean, it's like one of those slug it out games where they, the other team did a really good job of mucking it up, and it was like low scoring, bad shooting percentages. It was just ugly. And they ended up winning, and after the game, we were talking to the head coach, and it was like, man, that was a tough game. You know, it was just kind of ugly, and, you know, what did you tell your guys? And he said, oh, about 15 minutes into the game, we told him, this is going to be ugly. Just settle that in your mind. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't beat yourself up because this is ugly today. The only goal is winning. That's all you have to do. Don't beat yourself up because today isn't going to be the pretty game. And that was what it was. It was just a slugfest. And I was thinking about that with your comment around why golf is so hard because you're, you are so tied to a number. And that's the way I had, I think that was the way I had viewed the game. It was like, no, it has to be pretty and beautiful and, you know, incredible ball striking and, you know, this and that. And it was like, you know, some days you just need to win the game. Win doesn't look like scratch every day at our skill level. Like it just doesn't. And 
you know, so I think one of the things that we started to adjust and I, and I'll speak for me specifically was we just got rid of the care about shooting even par every round. Cause I was obsessed with it. Really? That's what you were stepping on the golf course, expecting to shoot even par every time. No, no, no. Just, I wanted to do it once. It was just that goal of like, yeah. okay, can we do it today? You know what I mean? Like, can we do it today? Can we close this thing? And you know, I had several rounds during the year where, you know, I was one under, I was even after the front and just crapped the bed the next three holes. And, you know, I got to the point where I, I called Dr. J and said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I have pressure, it's, which is a, such an insane thing to say when you're playing around a golf by yourself. I said, but I think pressure, there's pressure that's getting to me. I and mean, I don't know whether it's having to put it out there to an audience or just I don't feel that. I think it was just the expectation I had planted on myself. It was just weighing on me. And so, you know, I just kind of thought back to that basketball game. And I told Mike, like, forget the even even park talk. Like, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I don't care. Like, the goal right now is probably more anti-cap focused. It's like, hey, can I just be between a 75 and an 80 regularly? Can I be in the high 70s? Just that's probably a better measuring stick than whether or not I put up an even round, because that just tells you I played consistent golf. So I think that was number one. And I was really proud. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen, but our second to last episode on the season, Mike and I played, a we had a two-man event at Tobacco Road, and I ended up bogeying the last hole to shoot one over, but I had no idea what my score was until we walked off the green and Mike said, did you know you were even going into 18? I said, no. I mean, I knew I was having a pretty good day, but I had no idea. So I was like, okay, we've at least made some strides there. But I think the other thing too is Dr. J just pressed us. When you have thoughts that are pressure related and outcome related, that's okay. Don't cheerlead it. Don't fight it. Don't try to self-talk your way out of it. Just embrace the fact that they're there because if they're there, that means what you're doing is important. That's all it tells you. Where you're focused it's important to you and it matters. And just kind of let that thought go in and let that thought go out. And so we really tried over the year to, whenever those crappy thoughts creep into your head, and I had to do it on the course audibly sometimes by myself, just go, all right, that's okay. Yep. I want to, I want to have a good score here. That's fine. All right. Nothing wrong there. Okay. Let's go hit the shot. And I can say, I think we made huge strides in that area during the year. I think we made huge strides as far as vanity. And just the worry about what our swings look like and what we look like on a range, what people might think when they see us. So I think there's several of those areas that were just big steps forward for us. Talk about that part, the vanity part and on the range, because I know I know what you're alluding to when you're learning a new movement, right? So yeah, let's hear it from you guys, your experiences. Well, I mean, for me, that was just a big thing where it was you get out there on the range and it's, there's, you know, people to the left of you, people to the right of you. And you might know some of them, you might not know any, but it doesn't really matter. It's just like, I got to a point too much where it was like, find a shot that you can hit good. So other people might think that you're good at this game. And <laughs> I wasn't consciously thinking that, but like, I just became aware that that was a bigger driver than I ever thought it was. So just knowing that even like warming up, I never wanted to get out there and do hip stretches or get your shoulders warmed up because it's a full you minute. The Jimenez yeah. warm up. Yeah. Whenever I go through my dynamic warm up, I fully admit 
to myself, I'm like, people think I look like an idiot right now and I don't care. <laughs> right. But that's the part I think we got to that we weren't there before is that we didn't care. Because I think the thing that this was specifically for me last year, what kind of I, I realized is I've throughout my whole life, I've never wanted to be the guy who tried too hard. And that was like a sin. Don't get caught trying too hard. Just go there, have fun. What happens, what happens? And then, you know, but kind of realizing that that is a way of self-protecting my ego was something that I kind of had to realize. That made a very big difference as far as getting there and saying, yeah, I'm going to do the whole warm-up routine. I don't care who's looking because I'm here to accomplish what I'm here to accomplish. And then also, I think for me, like one of the biggest things, and this didn't happen until maybe towards the end of the season, but you hear all the time, stay in the moment, focus on this shot. But like, for us, it's been a learned process. That doesn't show up overnight. That You have to earn right. that. It's hard. And I think towards the end of last year, I was as good as I could be at that. And also trying not to... The other thing I realized is I try to get the swing over with a lot. I'm just trying to... And that kind of leads to rushing because I'm worried about the result. And I, I would try to remind myself, no, let's enjoy the swing. Make the swing. Enjoy the, the contact of the ball. And, and then we'll go hit it again. You said that part of the way through the year, and I don't remember if it was your thought or somebody else that told you, but you said hitting the golf ball is the funnest part of what you do. Right. Don't rush hitting the golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. That helped me. <laughs> I said that I was, I was with my dad late in the year and I was struggling rushing and I was like, why? Why are you rushing this? Why do you want to get to the part where you're walking after the ball? Why don't you just enjoy the moment of hitting the ball? So that kind of helped me. But what is always interesting, and I love getting as many different perspectives as possible on this. We've had a couple of pro golfers on the show recently, Mike Kim and Mackenzie Hughes, and they've admitted to the same exact things, like worrying about what other people think of them, not being engaged in shots. Like These are all universal problems that every golfer faces relative to their skill level. And it's hard to not think about results and what you guys said earlier is like, I think one of the golden rules and you keep hearing more and more athletes say it like Novak Djokovic had a great quote on this recently where it was like just being human and not being angry at yourself for thinking some ridiculous stuff during your round. Like I've been honest with some of the stuff that's gone through my head during rounds. It happens. You can't stop it. But what you do next, you know, we had a great episode with Carl Morris, I think he was talking about firing the second arrow, right, Adam? Was is that you, you can't stop the initial reaction, but it's the reaction to the reaction that is that's within your control. So it's always cool to hear this stuff because, you know, we're always hard on ourselves and it's it's very natural to play a game that has a number attached to it. And when you're finished, people ask you, well, what did you shoot today? They don't ask you if you had fun. So like you said, Eli, the best times are when like you're kind of playing well. Like you said, you had that round at Tobacco Road. And you know things are going well, but the, the score is kind of like an afterthought. It, it's not like burned on every single shot you hit. And I think that's – you guys are definitely heading in the right direction because the way the show started, you kind of painted yourself into a corner that like every decision you made, every shot you hit, every swing change or non-swing change was in the context of I have to get to scratch immediately or as fast as possible. And that's a really difficult way to – get better at this game, have fun doing it. Not that you guys haven't had fun. You've had a blast, but I think that's, it kind of exhausted you. And that is kind of what happened at the end of last season. You were just exhausted by it. It sounded like. I think taking ourselves, it's okay. Mike talked about this a little bit ago, but 
taking ourselves seriously. Like it's okay. You know, I think so much of the feedback and the reason people love the show the first couple seasons was because it was like they loved when we went off the reservation and just <laughs> completely fell apart. And like Mike said, you know, I think I had Larry and I tallied it. I think we spent 55 hours together in 2023. Like 55 hours. Wow. And that's not practice time. That's just time with Larry. I mean, it was, again, spread out over probably 45 lessons. And, you know, I remember the first time I sat down with Larry in the off season. And, Mike, you can re- you probably remember the audio, but he said, your biggest problem is you don't take yourself serious. And he said, you don't think of yourself as a pro. And he said, you need to approach this like a pro. And he said, until you take it serious, you're not going to get the change you want. And he goes, I don't mean that you're not like you want to improve. But he goes, no, I mean, approaching your practice like a pro would, you know, have a plan. And and I remember the day he said, you will never get better unless you stop caring what people think about you on the range. Like, it was just very direct. And he was like, until you're unafraid to look stupid, you won't improve. And like Mike said, there was always a cop out with me and him that we were, ah, they're funny and they're not taking themselves too seriously. But deep down, Mike and I, we didn't want to say it, but we were absolutely wanting to take ourselves seriously. I think the last year just gave us permission to kind of go at it the way it needed to, you know, to to go at. And and I think the proof too, obviously we're we're on season seven. We haven't got there, but I made more strides last year than I have in six seasons. And some of that won't, you know, a lot of it doesn't show up on a scorecard. It won't show up on a handicap score, but I'm like, man, we're putting the foundations in that will be able to support a bigger house down the road. Wow. Like, that's what I know. You like that? Oh, there's how so many, much concrete found, that we poured. How many foundations, Eli? Four. There's four <laughs> he's foundations. Finally, he's finally year. acknowledged it. He's not he's, a denier he's, anymore. He's admitting four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how many passes before we shoot? Four. Four. <laughs> For those who don't know, Eli was a foundation denier. For a long time, he, he only acknowledged <laughs> one. As a he was, joke, he was first a flat, of all, he was a flat foundation. He was a flat. I, was, <laughs> I, a flat I, I said, I said, I was a flat earther in a in a two foundation guy. He was the no. Kyrie Irving of the four foundations. <laughs> I was a four foundation guy until John stepped onto the fifth hole at Riverbend and fired at an inaccessible pin placement that was. By the way, did you hear us recount that? I don't I know did. if you saw was, the. Uh, oh, no, that's it right. was that's poetic. Right. You did. It was poetic. Yeah. It made me happy thinking about it again when you walked out in jeans and put one to two feet and my whole world exploded. It was good. Yeah. The sun was in my eye too. I couldn't even see it. <laughs> it was straight in your eye. <laughs> it was straight in my eye. I had no idea what happened. That's <laughs> sun. You've been talking about your desire to not look silly. And I know, Mike, you talked about that in terms of doing your Jimenez warm up. But what about in terms of making a swing change? Because I know you've been doing doing that as well, making changes to your mechanics and things. And I, you know, I, I think I put something in the practice manual, a little plug. The desire to hit a good shot will kind of trap you. You know, I know that when I was making swing yeah. changes, I had to basically commit to hitting bad shots during that initial stage, at least. And is that something that you guys have been finding as well? Yeah, and that's been the toughest for me. I think Eli's better at that than I am. <laughs> Even when I was in lessons, like they'd be like, "All right, take a slow mo swing." I would do one slow mo swing. Like, All right, give me another slow mo swing. No, no, I can go fast. 
<laughs> I hate hitting the bad shot so much that what you said, Adam, is genius because it's like it weighs the weight of wanting to hit a good shot overpowers trying to get better because you, you just can't feel it. Like when I don't get the contact, then I'm like, wait, well, I'm not getting better. I'm getting worse. I'm hitting the ball worse. But just kind of finally understanding that, going through making making slow motion swings that feel terrible, but just giving it enough time. Like I don't think I'd ever given it changes enough time to actually work themselves into where they're and, and they're they're not even completely all the way there what we're, what we've been working on, but they're way closer than they have been in the past. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're like Tupac. You saw no changes. I saw no changes. (laughs) How did they feel at the final major, the last one? Because obviously that's a lot more pressure and that's always one of the best litmus tests to see how much you're trusting your swing. So how did both of you feel internally about your golf swings on that day? So I knew from the range, we both played Tobacco Road the day before. Eli shot one over, I shot two over. So we had really, we struck the ball really, really well. I did not strike it as well, the final major, and maybe that was pressure, maybe that was whatever it was, but I knew more about how to 
handle it when I don't have the best swing. In prior years where, like Eli said, we wouldn't have been comfortable saying, let's just get a win. Let's play what we got today. I would have been searching for, no, where's that perfect strike? Where's that perfect swing that I've been working on? There's video of the final major. I can I can look and say that some changes made it and some changes some I still reverted back to. But just seeing that there was some progression is is positive to me. What's your tactic when you when you go out on the course? Are you using your old swing or your new swing? Because I know that's something I when I was going through the learning period, it's like, well, do I take these changes on the course and actually try and work on my swing on the course, or do I work on it on the range? and then go back to what's comfortable on the course, and hopefully some of it sinks in. So I know there's the two different tactics. What was your way of doing it? It's like, I have no clue. <laughs> I think we're still working on that one, Adam. Look at a little sheepish there. Like, maybe a mix of both. I mean, because me and Eli had a whole episode, I think, called Transfer. Yeah, because with Sasha, right? Yeah, with Sasha, yeah. But I mean, part of that episode was, you see the changes that I'm inside downstairs in the simulator and I'm taking a swing and it's there. And I'm seeing the ball flight, it's it's good. And then it's on the course. If, if I snap a picture on the course, it's just not. And it's just how you make that transfer, I don't think we have a genius answer to. But I mean, I would just say for me, last year was more about trying to play with whatever was naturally there that day. And that's how I want to approach it. There was a couple of rounds where I was like, this is a practice round. I'm going to try focus on one move that I've been trying to do, but I don't think we're perfect at that. Eli, I don't know what you think. I think we put so much time in, in the off season. First of all, I think there was less, you didn't have to learn everything during a five month handicap window. Like we had before, you know, before it was like, okay, the season wrapped in October. And you're like, for me, that's the end of golf weather until April. So, you know, I didn't hit a ball. I would go five, six months without hitting a ball. And, you know, you think about coming back in April, it's like, okay, I need 60 days to figure out how to swing again. Now it's June and you've got this little two month window to try to pull it all together. And so I think first off, just having so many reps in the off season I think our swings were in just such a better spot when the season started. But also, and I'll say this for me, and Larry was so good with this, but like my chipping, Larry and I spent countless hours around the chipping green, doing on-course lessons, on the putting green, just knowing that you're a better, like for me, I was like, I can putt and I can chip now. Not that I'm the world's greatest chipper. I'm more than serviceable on a green. So on those days when you didn't have it, you could go to something else. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, I don't have to be hitting the driver 320 down the middle to be able to put up a good round. It's like, you know, I may have to go hit fairway woods or four irons and just try to find a fairway and then play from there. And we'll just kind of survive today and just put up an okay number. So I just think getting more consistent there, we have more ways to play better now than we did six years ago or three years ago or two years ago. And at least in my experience, there are very few days during a year where you have it. <laughs> there might be three days during a year, maybe, where you're like this, it was there and it was there pretty much the whole day. Like it was all there. You just don't have it. I mean, you have you have runs during a, a round and, you know, you may have two or three here and there's four or five where you're kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm a little loose. And I think, you know, for me on the final major. 
I had the best range session. And like Mike said, we hit the ball great the day before. I had the best range session I've ever had in my life before the final major. I felt fantastic. Horrible sign. <laughs> and the, yeah, well, then the first three holes, horrible sign. probably first four holes. Yeah, I was off just barely. <laughs> but I think before I would have went, oh my gosh, it's not there. And this is a train wreck. And it wasn't train. It was just, like I said, these were small misses. They weren't anything catastrophic. But I, I told my caddy Wiggins, I said, I said, actually, I know what this is. I said, the crowd being here has sped me up just a touch. I said, that's all it is. I said, there's no like swing. And I, I remember telling him that on the third hole. I said, there's no swing fall here. I said, I can actually feel it. I said, my tempo is just slightly rushed. And I said, it's just causing the ball flight to be a little off what it normally is. And I said, all I need to do is just slow down, breathe and relax, and we'll be fine. And, you know, about that point, for me, I started playing good golf. And I think that's the part. It's not that Mike and I shot 65-66, but we played really good golf that day. And birdies were winning holes. Great shots were winning holes. And that's what he and I wanted. You know, we wanted a final major where it was good golf to watch and it was competitive golf, and people, you weren't just handing holes over. That was what I was most proud of, at least at the end of the year. Well, I think what you're talking about over the last few years is, is what we, we discuss on the show. It's that you're just building a bigger toolkit. When you want to get better at this game, no matter what level you're starting at, you need to access more things. And it's usually the days where you don't feel good physically. So whether that's being able to be patient, stick with your strategic plan, other mental stuff, in-round adjustments, you know, the type of thing Adam and I will talk about a lot. The toolkit needs to be bigger. And that's absolutely how my game feels different from 10 years ago and any golfer who's gotten better. Like the toolkit just gets bigger. And you can only make the toolkit bigger if you're playing enough, getting the right feedback, going through the disappointment. You know, you guys were not happy with the way you played in the last final major before this one, that's the price of admission. Like you have to go through those things. And what you said, Eli, is the recognition of the difference between the range and the action and what the pressure was doing to you. That only happens when you put yourself through it enough times and pay attention. Same thing with me when I play in tournaments. Like I knew that I would rush up to the ball when pressure came on and I had to like consciously slow my breathing down and my steps. I had to play 50, 100 rounds feeling that in order to get to that point. So that's great stuff because again, you're observing, you're learning and getting back to what you said earlier in the episode is that when you don't see these crappy outcomes as like failures, when you see them as learning experiences, and again, very cliched stuff, but doing it is really hard. Like when you have a rough day on the course under pressure and you're like, I just folded and that's not fun, but that is the price of admission to not folding eventually. <laughs> I know yeah. this very well. I've done a lot of <laughs> horrible things under pressure and I've done some good things under pressure and I'm still going to choke. It never ends. Like you're you're always learning and gaining more experience. It's that but that's I think that's fun if you could view yeah. it the right way. That's where our mentality had to change. I think every failure was a terminal diagnosis. Yeah, you were taking it really hard that we weren't going to get there. Yeah. And I think what Dr. J really helped pivot with us was the idea that it's like, okay, the final major, when you were there, John, I couldn't find the bottom of a wedge all day. Like I just couldn't do it. 
you know, when Mike and I took the expectations off and said it's growth over results, then all these areas became really clear. It was like, hey, I don't have what it takes to hit approach shots under pressure, especially inside of 60 yards. I gag, I get, I struggle to find my bottom. But if you're okay, and again, if that's not a terminal diagnosis, you know, Larry and I sat at the beginning of the season and he said the last 15 minutes of every practice session, he said, I want you, we're going to have two wedge swings and I want you to be able to hit a yardage. He was like, that's it. And we did it over and over and over and over and over until Adam, I think about conversations we had in the early seasons where you talked about throwing a dart and you were like, I could close my eyes and feel what that feels like. It's ingrained in. I don't know if I could describe it, but I know exactly what a 75 yard shot feels like right now. Like I could do it. I know within a tight band what that swing feels like. And I've talked about this on the show, but the free wins just don't mean as much. Like they really don't. Like the stuff that you get quickly, it just doesn't mean as much as the areas where you flop and you go and put real work in and then you come back and you get a win. And that win, like that win is so much more sturdy and unshakable moving forward than the win that was given for free, where it didn't come with a you earned it with a little, it didn't come with any resistance. And going into the final major, I was really nervous that that wedge game was going to show up again because it hadn't been there all year. And I thought, man, this would be a catastrophe if it showed up now. But it was like, wait a minute, man, we've put so many reps in. And again, I was so proud of the way I hit approach shots all day and, and especially wedge shots. But I was like, you know, I had to go through, I wanted to walk off the course and hide from everybody I knew the first five holes of the final major you were at. It was so uncomfortable. It was that uncomfortable golf sweat where you're out there and there's nowhere to go. And you're just like, this is awful. But I was like, that feeling was so bad. I think the different mentality allowed me not to look at that as a, as a bad diagnosis. It just allowed me to say, Hey, you just got really good feedback. Your game will not hold up here when it matters. So just go tackle it. And then we'll, we'll make strides and we'll get better. So you were doing a couple of wedge swings at the end of lessons. Was that an intentional tactic to put the whole lesson and then say, right, these are the last two shots to put pressure on you? Is that intentional there? Well, I think it was intentional from the standpoint of don't get technical. Right, okay. Larry broke it down real easily for me, and, and I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but he said, look, he said, people do this clock system and there's 28 different notches on the clock and they all represent yardages. And he was like, look, here's the deal. He said, we're going to have two wedge swings. And he said, you know, with a 58, here's what wedge swing one goes with a 54. Here's what it goes with a 52. Here's what it goes. And then he said, then you're going to have another wedge swing that goes a little longer. We started off the first few lessons and he would put the tour tempo app on and he would say, okay, I just want you to fill 75 yards. And the first couple lessons, it was like 85, 62, 91, 72, 82. You know, like it was just the band was so high. And he would just say, okay, you know, if that one was 85, tell me what 70 feels like or tell me what 75 feels like. So I think it was good to take the technical part out of how I was doing it. But also, too, he was just like, man, we just, you don't have to rebuild your entire game in this area. He was like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, hit some balls at the end. He was like, you're going to ingrain that so much in that 10, 15 minutes over time that you'll build muscle memory really, really quickly. And you don't have to do it. It's not like a swing change, you know, where you're 
we're slow and we have to feel all the, you know, you have to feel certain stuff. And I think for me, it was just a simple way to build practice in that was non-technical, but it was just a part of my routine where I could recall that feeling, you know, whenever I wanted to. So we practice on simulators a lot. So that's, I think you'd agree, John, that that's actually helped our wedge game a lot with the numbers. You know, we can attach that feel to the verbal command of the number. That's what we did. We were on track, man, and he was just calling out yardages. And that was the last 10, 15 minutes. I did that with my son when he was two, three, four years old. He used to watch me hit balls on the sky track and he would just be looking at the screen and same thing, 57, 62, 80. And you have to earn those numbers so that, you know, you put in the work and when you get on the course, it should be no different. You guys are great athletes, really good basketball players. I played basketball for a long time too. It should feel no different. Like you're just pulling up for a 17 foot jumper. You know what that feels like, how much pressure you need to apply to the ball and everything but you're just accessing that and golf makes it harder because you know you hit that towering drive and you're walking up to it and you're like oh don't lay the sod over this one <laughs> but somehow you have to access all of that work you've put in and just say go mm-hmm. 67 go yep that's easier said than done but i think what you did with larry makes perfect sense you're laying the groundwork to access those numbers because you're earning them yep they just don't show up. Those are difficult shots because it's all finesse. It's, it's you know, you're adjusting swing speed and, and swing length. That's not easy. Yeah. That's great to hear. In terms of combining a lot of things we talked about, transference, you know, our tendency to kind of speed up when we are under pressure as well is, is make me think of a game I used to play with the kids at IMG Academy. So I used to get them maybe have a group of five and line them up and I'd say right we're going to play a game where I'd ask them what their worst shot was you know so say for example they hate a drive or they suffer with bladed wedges and so that would be their last shot that they do in the task and so we'd all have a task which is maybe hit this target six times in a row and then once you do that you unlock the last task which is your worst shot and then you have to do that in front of everybody. So it's kind of like a game of bingo. People will say, all right, bingo, I got, I'm there. I've done my shots in a row. And so everybody would gather around and they had to hit that last shot in front of everybody. So it's putting an insane amount of pressure on it. I don't know how you can implement that yourself. I mean, maybe phone each other up, FaceTime each other and say, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> or video video record it and send it to each other. But yeah, there's there's ways of, especially if you're practicing with someone, you can certainly do that. It's, it's good to have a practice buddy in that regard. Are you guys, one of the questions we got on Twitter was, are either of you planning on playing any tournaments or competitive golf? Because I think I'm writing a book on this now. Oh, it's only one foundation. One foundation. It's on competitive golf. (laughs) And I think if you go in with the right mindset playing, and you guys have done this already, like you guys playing the final major and all the pressure you're putting yourself under, I I would say that's actually more pressure than most like regional golf tournaments because your vanity and your reputation with the listeners are on the line and these, all these people know you and are fans, like that's a lot of pressure. And I think when you play stroke play golf where you're truly on an island and you have the right attitude, that builds that callus in your brain and, and elsewhere in your game because if you can get through that, like everything else is a bit easier. So that was one of the questions on Twitter. I just wonder, like, do you guys, I know, was it Eli? I think you played a, did you play a tournament the other year? I played my first, you know, what I would call a real tournament during the year. 
but I don't know, Mike. There are plans to play more competitively. I don't know that we're going to say anything more than that. All right. We can keep it quiet. We'll just say yes. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for your aspirations, I can tell you playing a lot of tournament golf helped me to get to scratch and beyond because when you put the magnifying lens on your game like that and you have to go through that discomfort and hopefully you go back and say, well, what was making me uncomfortable? How can I, like all my buddies who I play with who are really good tournament players, we talk about this a lot. I remember I was playing a match with my friend who's one of the better tournament players on Long Island and we were just hitting some bunker shots playing a match. And we were just talking about bunker play and he said, he's like, listen, you know, during the season, he's like, I just, under the gun, I was just really uncomfortable with bunkers. And he's like, I just went to a bunker. I said, you're going to figure this out until you get out of this bunker, until you feel comfortable with this under pressure. And that, that process of putting the game under the test, noticing what makes you uncomfortable, hopefully finding something that you can hang on to in those moments, that builds like that callus in your game, like that strength. And then everything seems a little bit easier so that when you show up and play at your golf course where, you know, you're keeping your handicap rounds, that feels like a piece of cake after that. It really does. Right. And again, you have to have the right attitude. I don't think everyone should play stroke play tournament golf because it can be damaging to your enjoyment of the game. But as I said, you guys have already, you've already thrown your game under the gauntlet. So I think it would be, I'm glad the answer is yes. I think it's a good idea for you guys. I'm glad to hear that because that that's kind of where, I mean, two things we said at the end of last season. One, I think, is we love to compete. Yeah, it's fun. Tobacco Road Round, we were in a fairly healthy wager with another team. <laughs> and that was our focus. Like, So we weren't trying to shoot a score. We were trying to win. And then, you know, the final major is extremely fun for both of us, especially with caddies. And even though it's more pressure, like we just love competing. I think that leads us down that road. But then also one of the things I thought one of the best things Eli said, he was talking about last year that he was talking about when he's coaching his AAU kids is to, to get better. They got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh yeah. There's still a list. I've got a, I've got a list right next to me of three or four things that we have not been willing to cross because they're uncomfortable. And one of those is what you're talking about. So the answer is yes. There's some other things too, but that's in the plans for season seven. Love it. And I think one of the things we can say, which tournament golf is part of this, but we also need to play with better players. Yeah, that's part of it too, is you being around. I learned a ton playing from people who are way better than me under pressure. Right. And we avoid those people. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't want to play with them. And uh, oh, you're good. Okay, I'll, I'll find something. Else. <laughs> <laughs> you won't make me feel good about myself. I'm not playing today. <laughs> but you know, we need to play with better players, not just to learn where they're good or where they're better, but also I think it just demystifies some really impractical impressions that we have of great golf. And you know, when you don't play with better players, and Mike and I've talked about this, but it's like. There's the average player, and then there's it was like scratch to tour pro. We're all in this tight banded group, and nothing could have been further from the truth. There's really good players that are so many million miles away from tour players. But when all you see, when your only exposure to a good player is watching the tour on Saturday and Sunday, it just creates this irrational expectation. And John, we talked about it, but you're a good player. Seeing you play was 
you know, it highlighted some areas that we need to get better, but also you don't look like Adam Scott when you pull the club back, you know, like you're a human being. And some of that was also helpful too. Like, man, I don't have to be. I think you look like Adam Scott. <laughs> it looks like what's his name in Batman when Two-Face, like when they blew up his like face at the end of Batman too. That's what my takeaway looks like. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But you don't have the most traditional swing, but neither do I. And so it was nice to go and look and go, man, he plays really, really good golf. But there's a thousand different ways to do this and be successful at it. And, you know, I think some of that was just demystifying some of those views that, again, they sound stupid, but that's the stupid stuff that when you go out on the range to practice, you're like, oh, I'm not going to look like that when I'm trying to get better in this area. And it just holds you back. I give a huge plug for my forthcoming book. We're talking about a lot of chapters in the book already right here. But one of the things I discuss is like having sparring partners and being comfortable with players who are better than you and observing because there comes a moment where you feel like an imposter for a long time where you're playing with these really good golfers. And then you start noticing some things like you're saying about me, like, his swing kind of looks like the dumpster fire. It's not that nice looking. Yet he can <laughs> I play didn't well. say that. <laughs> don't put words in my mouth, John. It's not. I don't like looking at my swing. I've, I've spoken a lot about it. People ask for videos of it. And it just like doesn't exist. But when you start observing these things and more importantly, like when you start getting comfortable, when your vanity starts to leave a bit and you're just like, you know what? This guy is dealing with his own stuff anyway. He's not thinking about me as much as I think and I can be comfortable in front of that player. Well, that brings you a step higher up the ladder. And again, that when it goes back to your normal rounds, that's where you're saying like, well, I'm trying to shoot even par. All of those experiences build to that moment where you're on the 16th or 17th hole and you're like, oh, maybe I got a chance at this. Like all of that stuff, the playing in front of all of the fans of you guys, maybe playing tournaments and all like that shows up in experience and ability to deal with, you know, the pressure and the numbers, it all comes together. That's the toolkit. It requires a lot of different experiences to get there. And I absolutely think if you play with people who are better than you and you're silently observing them and putting your game to the test with them, again, if you have the right mindset and you're willing to learn from it, it could be great. Some people are kind of like a turtle going into their shell and they're like, I will not play with this guy again. He's just too good. It scares me. That can happen too. But if you think about it rationally, I think you can get past that. Yeah. Well, and I think there's always wins in there too. I think our minds tend to go to, and we might have talked a little bit about this, but our minds tend to go to the, the negative. Like if the worst happens and I'm with this guy playing, <laughs> how bad is that going to be? But again, with basketball, I wouldn't think that, you know, I would think, hey, I may find an area here that I'm better at than I didn't, you know, like I may get a win here in an area that I wasn't ready for. And again, man, there's so much more confidence when you get a win like that, that it's irrational confidence, you know, that can carry you for a period of time. But it's just at the end of the day, they don't care. Like you said, I don't care. Like when we play with people that are blowing up, I mean, I feel bad for them, but ultimately I could care less. <laughs> Like all I'm thinking about is how well I'm playing. Yeah, this is a it's a it is a selfish game. Yeah, at heart, it is not a team game. It's a it's a selfish pursuit. 
and you're mostly concerned about what's going on in your little circle and like what's going on in the, in the rest of the group, you know, aside from people like losing their temper or being really slow, it's kind of like this fuzzy thing in the background where you're like, I don't know what they're shooting. Like maybe someone's lighting the course on fire and you're like, wow, this guy's playing really good. But for the most part, you're so obsessed with your internal dialogue that you don't have room for all of that. And once you start realizing that it's very freeing Yeah, that other players as good like as even good players they just most of the time like they just want you to play in a way that's not going to bother them that's all they care about just be fast yeah just don't don't take forever on the tee box don't spend three minutes reading your putts don't talk about how you know this is the you've never played this bad in your life you know i've never shot this score in my life and the guy's like yeah you have let's be honest (laughs) that's usually what in my experience with better players is like they don't really care about half the things you think they just want to play golf and they're mostly concerned about themselves but this game i could tell you the conversations you know we had Mackenzie hughes on the show recently who i've had a coaching relationship with and he was very open about the stuff he worries about while he plays golf worrying about what people are thinking of him and that's a lot of the conversations we've had is can we in a rational way deconstruct this and make him realize that like no one really gives a crap And he's one of the best golfers in the world and he's still worrying about this stuff. So it's just the way this game is. You never eliminate it entirely, but you can get better at that. So let's play another game. Who's your daddy and what does he do? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I was thinking about Yeah, that is... I was thinking like before we started recording that like popped in my head. I'm like, I haven't seen Kindergarten Cop in a long time. That'd be a great, <laughs> great game to play with these guys. Kindergarten Cop, man. Wow. Adam, have you ever seen Kindergarten Cop? I have. Yeah, yeah is, I've seen it. Though, yeah. Nice. I had, I, was, I had Kindergarten Cop on VHS. I'm yeah, not afraid to admit. Wasn't that it. a great movie? Like when <laughs> you think good. about it? Yeah, it was solid. Like I was just Since thinking about it. like it it's a great like night it had like the great 90s villain in it the stepfather with the long hair and like he was like a it was just a great movie I don't know I was just thinking about that before we hit record we I'm don't have to twi- play that I'm going to go twins over Twins with Danny now. DeVito was another classic I was yeah, thinking of sure. the other Schwarzenegger movie where he was a Hollywood character but he came to real life Last Action Hero Oh Last Action Hero awesome yes. movie I actually just watched a documentary on short i watched a documentary recently on schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone that were both incredible the stallone documentary is unbelievable i know what you're talking about i was so like i I was like all in on that what what's the name of this documentary it's just like stallone or something it's on netflix but okay i'm very I've, i've made it very clear on twitter that I have listened to the Rocky Four soundtrack for every single workout <laughs> yes. I've done for the last two years on dun, repeat. Dun, dun, dun. I, no, I don't even – it's funny. I don't even listen to Eye of the Tiger. I'm like yeah. on the deeper tracks. You're like, like Hearts you gotta on go Fire. No easy, no hearts easy on way Fire. Out. No easy, way out. No easy yeah. way out. War. War. War is the – War is so good. War is the greatest <laughs> – I'm going to – Choose my words carefully here. <laughs> the song War. I think that the musical score of War, War what is it good for? <laughs> is the greatest inspirational track ever created in music history. Wow. I'm just I'm only gonna put up one challenger to that because I work out almost exclusively to the Hoosiers soundtrack. Ooh, and Hoosier that's fair. soundtrack is not Hoosiers fair. Hoosiers in my mind it barely edges out Rocky, but it's close. Is War better than the final bell? From Rocky 1. 
Yes, Final bell. I would say yeah. I, I think okay. for me, it, it just gets me to do things that I don't think I could usually do. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Like it's become a Pavlovian response. Like there are days where I don't want to lift weights or work out. And when the synthesizers and the trumpets come on, it's just like- You want I've, to go to war. Then you're like, I'm ready to go to war with someone now. I've and then you tried to like- turn steroids. Yeah. Like people, people are always looking for ways to motivate themselves in lives. And I keep putting it out there on Twitter. I'm like, it's right here. It's these five songs on repeat. Like you don't have to do- It got me to finish my book. It got me to get in shape- more like that's all you need. But that's to my great. original point, the you're going to owe some kind of royalty to them by the time I'll gladly pay out. it. <laughs> what do you think about Joe Esposito's You're the Best Around from the Karate Kid? For Karate Kid, oh, I, mean, oh, I used to listen to that in college a lot. That's a great track, too. You're the best. Around. <laughs> but my original point, the Sylvester Stallone documentary is really inspiring. Just Ooh, how he. Okay. He's a very inspiring guy, like how he got started in film writing and how he wrote Rocky and how it almost never happened. Highly recommend it. So we got some questions on Twitter. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't (laughs) for various reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I alluded to Green Jobs USA at Green Jobs USA one. All right. Here's this question. Ask them why they waste so much time on their podcast, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It should be half the length that usually is. You and Adam are great at not having a bunch of irrelevant dialogue on yours. <laughs> How do you respond to Green Jobs USA? I mean, honestly, I'm flattered. Adam and I usually record 90-minute episodes, and he's saying there's no irrelevant dialogue on our show. So thank you for that. And then we come on, you start talking about Stallone and yeah. Joe Esposito. <laughs> We're just dragging you down. We don't usually waste time like that. That's the first time in the last like 100 episodes that we've wasted time on anything not related to golf improvement. But I would say those songs can help people get better at golf. That's true. Anyway, why do you waste so much time on your podcast while we're flying? <laughs> you yada yada over the best part. No, I mentioned the bisque. It's just fun. It's uh, it's. Just, I would argue that uh, is I, the I, podcast. I love that question. Like, I love that That is question. your podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so funny though because- Different people are attracted to different parts, I think, of everything. Some people want us to put two-hour episodes out. Some people want us to put 30-minute episodes out because that's how we started. And then some people love the banter and would rather us not edit anything out. And then some people hate it and just just want the golf stuff. You can never please everyone in this game. That's exactly. What I so, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I think I think that's gotten to our heads – only a couple times where we've let some feedback like maybe change the way we do stuff. But I think now it's just if it's in the podcast, which is because we like it. So if it's blah, 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 it's just because we think it's it was fun to talk about. I mean, I personally think I don't listen to a ton of podcasts in general, but, you know, when people want to get into podcasting, you know, they say like, oh, it would just we'll record fun conversations with friends. 99.9% of the time, like nobody wants to hear that. And people realize like how hard that is to do. And Adam and I don't do that. Our show is not friendly banter and jokes. Like we can't do that. We're just other. here to like give information out and a perspective. But you guys have that skill of making like the banter like funny and all. I mean, there's literally thousands of people who are hanging on all of these 
inside jokes and everything like that's hard to do. So Green Jobs USA one, I would say that the blah, blah, buying is the bulk of the show. Like that's why it's special. We've said if you went and put a microphone with Mike and I for 20 years plus of phone calls, the dialogue would be the same. <laughs> it's the same. Well, yeah, it's authentic. And, and that's what, yeah. like, he and I just kind of said, like, we're not writing a storyline here. It's not like we start off the season, we're like, all right, here's what would be great. Let's get out of the start. Let's get out to a great start, but then let's crap the bed <laughs> for like six weeks. Then I'm going to quit. <laughs> then I'm, I'm going to quit. quit. And then yeah. you threaten to go quit. dark. <laughs> then you come up here and then you quit for 11 hours. And then we're going to bring it all back. We just are literally, when we started this, we just said, we're going to record the same conversation that we've been having for two decades. And if it's interesting, fantastic. If it's not, he and I are fine and we're still going to have the same conversation whether we're doing the show or not. So yeah, I don't know any other way to do it. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think it's led to a good place, man. I saw those Titleist release some pictures of you guys the other day. There was like a photo shoot and I'm like, damn, these guys look like legit. Halfway look like they know what they're doing. Apparel. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, we got, got the, Mike in the, the middle of a joy gear. club twirl. I'm like, jeez, this, <laughs> this is a real thing. All right. Here's another question. Is Eli back to actually washing his hair with shampoo or did the hippiness <laughs> stick? You're going to have to explain that one to me. I, I, I'm not privy to that that episode. This was during an episode that we called The Rogue Trip, where Mike, we just decided to meet up towards the end of the season. We wanted, he and I wanted something that just felt like season one, where we just took off and played golf together. It was just us two. We were on the road. And then it actually ended with a golfer's journal event down in Jacksonville. And we met up with one of our guys from Titleist, Malcolm. Who has the strongest abs in the company. Strongest abs in the company. He's this has got to be a bold claim. I imagine Tyler has rep. a lot of people with bold abs, yeah, strong abs. They fired Tony Horton and hired Malcolm uh, <laughs> a year ago. So. I love Tony. By the way, side note, Drink I love water, that guy. People. I love people. Tony Horton. I did P90X back in the day and I have a tonal and I still do a lot of his workouts. I love oh, Tony man. Horton. Everybody's legs up for, fr- for Crunchy Frog. For Crunchy Frog. <laughs> love Tony. All right, get to the shampoo. What happened there? We had this discussion because I think, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we were with our buddies, Brian and Tyler in Pennsylvania. And this discussion came up that you shouldn't be washing your hair every day. And I said- I've heard this too. Yeah. yeah, I said, that's crazy. I said, I wash my hair. I shampoo my hair twice a day at least, sometimes three. (laughs) What are you talking about? And they were like, oh man, your hair has so many natural oils and things and you're just killing it when you do that. So- I said, well, how often do you shampoo your hair? And he said, once a week. What? And I went, but like, what about when you sweat and work out? He's like, it's all good. He was like, you just rinse it out with water. He's like, I'm not saying don't touch it, but like, just run it through water, you know, rinse it out like normal. He's like, but don't shampoo it. The chemicals are killing your hair. So 
I you, started. You look a quest. like you have a pretty lush head of hair. Well, I started a quest. I said I'm done. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna shampoo, but once a week. And I mean, for anybody that can't see, I don't know if you guys are releasing any video, but I look like we Fabio. Don't. We right don't do now. anything. <laughs> he smells like Versailles, but my hair's down to my waist right now. No. <laughs> so are you are you shampooing once a week? Is once that what's a week. Going on? It's that's all it is. So wow. uh, there's no turning back now. I'm all in on this. He's all he's right. uh, he's converted me as well. I'm in on this. Are you fully it, wow. now in? You were partially it, it, in. No, I'm in. It works. You have to give it. You have to give it like a month. But it's because because I just thought I'm just going to be greasy and awful and I'm going to feel terrible. You just got to get past those first couple weeks. But the first couple of weeks, though, you're underselling that. The first couple of weeks, every OCD tendency you have will creep to the it's, surface. Yeah, it's difficult. But after that, there's there's no going back. Do you not put product in your hair? It's like ingraining a golf swing, right? Adam, <laughs> what's what's the thing? Adam has the best visual about the bungee cord. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know which one this is. Adam's got all <laughs> kinds of visuals. He's got the, the Ferris wheel tilting on its side. I think about the bungee cord visual all the time. Jason and I talk about it all the time. It's like, you're getting away from your tendencies. You're getting away from your tendencies, but then, you know, they you can they can smack <laughs> and come come right back. You know, you're washing your hair. You just gotta gotta remember, <laughs> get, getting away from your tendency of over shampooing. Do you guys not put product in your hair? Is it do you have to wash that out? Well, it changed. Honestly, it changed so much about the volume of <laughs> the volume of my hair. I haven't put hair gel in. It's probably been three, four years. So I can just kind of pull it back out of the shower now, and it it just does what it's supposed to. There's just so much dirt in it that he could just... I'm sorry, yeah, just, Proctor Gamble. <laughs> we're going to destroy your shampoo cells, but it is... So I guess there's no chance you guys are getting a shampoo... Endorsement? A sponsorship. No, no, no. no. They're not going to be happy about it. That yeah. boat has sailed. The head and shoulders conversations went downhill quick. <laughs> all right. Well, listen. I've got Tresemme okay. printed all over my golf bag <laughs> for 2024. Hey, conditioner, though. We can, we can easily sign up a conditioner. Oh, yeah. You can put conditioner in... I mean, there's some conflicting stories about conditioner because if you could go conditioner every day, if you wanted, it's no, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not there on that. You're not there, but I'm no. saying like you could. I mean, I do both every day. Am I living the wrong? Oh, you got to change. I'm serious. You got to change it. You got to quit. You do. I, I used to really. I was like Eli. I took two two showers a day most days, and I would just shampoo the life. But I didn't feel clean. I didn't feel clean unless shampoo suds were hitting my body. And running down in my face into my eyes, like it's it was a complete change. But I'm just telling you, you're going to notice a drastic difference in about three to four weeks. Send us every day. We want a picture of your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a haircut on Friday. I'm going to ask my the dude who cuts my hair. I trust him. Adam, are you in? Always. Are you in on this? Yeah, I, I'm. I might give it a go. Hashtag. Should we make a? Should we make a hashtag? Yes. No shower. <laughs> No shampoo. No, there's shower. No, no shampoo, shampoo December. December. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no shower December doesn't doesn't sound too appealing to me. Yeah, don't. Yeah, the showers are okay. Yeah, <laughs> Just keep showers. All right, here's another question we got. You guys are both pretty good basketball players. Presuming MJ was a plus nine whatever handicap at basketball, like Tiger at his peak. What do you think your basketball handicaps were at their peak? I can vouch. I shot some hoops with these guys last year at their alma mater. We had a shoot around, and yeah, they both can play. I don't. Eli know. can play a lot better than I can, though. I mean, I I peaked at twelve, so I don't buy that. When I was twelve years old, I was you know maybe I was scratch. 
<laughs> what was your basketball handicap? I was scratch at, at 12. I was scratch okay. at 12. All right. Fair enough. Eli? I don't know. I mean, if MJ's a plus nine, I want to say I'm like a I'm like a three. But less than 1%, because I did this research, because we're trying to do something that like 1% of golfers do, right? But less than 1% of people that play high school basketball play college basketball. So you're you're in the top 1%. So you got to be at least a plus. Yeah, I'd say you're plus handicap at basketball for I'll, sure. I'll go, plus, I'll go plus two. Plus two, plus three. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, do you have any questions for them as I search through Twitter here? What did Eli learn about strategy in terms of skipping balls over water? <laughs> skipping balls over water? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I know what you're referencing now. Sorry, I was I was lost for a second. It's probably not the best. Did you strategy. play in the Masters? <laughs> I had a shot. It was a low point during the oh, year. Oh, that one. Oh gosh. Oh, I was a little frustrated. I tried to rom one on the six, like a sixteenth at Augusta, just drive it across the pond. I learned don't do it again if you want to do things that help your handicap. Probably not the best. Probably not the best way to go. The best part of how you described it to me, though was the way you described it, it was a totally sane idea, except for you forgot there was pond scum on the top. So it wasn't going to skip. I was like, what? Yeah, there was no skipping. It just went bloop. They had no, there was no fountain there to no. oxidize the water. No, no nothing like that. <laughs> but I'm just saying like the fact that that was in, that was even mentioned. Obviously, I, did, I didn't think that there was this, that there was scum on the top. So well, I, I was thinking about I was thinking about Larry's acronym of weld. You know, like Larry's got this acronym. He's like every shot. He's like weld, wind, elevation, lie, distance. That's he's like it's real quick. Wind, elevation, lie, distance. No I was like, it should be welds. <laughs> Just put an S on it for scum. It's like I need to evaluate how much scum's on the water before I decide to hit this shot. <laughs> so what's the plan? As we we're going to wrap up here soon, we're getting close to our time. So, what's the plan moving forward? We're recording this in the middle of December in 2023. You've got some. Fortunately, Mike and myself have both gotten MRIs within a week of each other, so our off seasons might be in slight jeopardy. I heard you have an MRI playlist. Someone said that on Twitter. Will said that. Do you have an MRI? I'm getting an MRI on Friday. Okay. Do you want to hear my MRI story? Do you have story? a playlist for me? Should I just, I, should I just lift it to Rocky Four and not get claustrophobic? <laughs> I, would, I would just go Rocky Four. No. Well, yeah. Okay. What's your playlist? Well, I went to an MRI expect... Like my last MRI, I think I was like nine years old. I've never gotten one. Okay. Well, so... I don't know you what know, to you, expect. You go into the chamber of secrets or whatever and... and Harry Potter's in there? Yeah, yeah. They're demented. <laughs> the worst part is the wizard's... <laughs> they won't suck the soul out of your body and it hurts. But the, you know, you go into this thing and you sit there and it makes a bunch of weird noises. And I guess I was thinking because it was like the last time it was for like, you know, my whole body and my brain and all this kind of stuff. It's just my wrist. And so I was like, I'm just going to stick my arm in there and it's going to be like five minutes. Well, that's not how it went at all. It oh, I thought that was good, what it was going to be too. I'm going to have yeah, to like no. go on the whole thing. Yeah. I had to lay down on my stomach and hold your arm like this. And so then they give you earplugs because it's loud. And then they give you headphones and they said, what music do you want? And I was like, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is like what, whatever you want to play. And they're like, well, we got Spotify. So I was like, oh, okay. Rock. 
just give me some rock. And but again, like the whole time, I'm like, this is gonna be five minutes. I was in there for at least thirty. Oh god, like this. <laughs> it is so tight in there. Yeah. Oh man, I'm trying to think. I think I had a CT scan once. That's got to be yeah. similar, right? Well, the funny part was the first song that played was Hotel California. <laughs> so we it's said like that's perfect. minutes long. Well, yeah. So we said that's perfect. You say, oh, are you, you claustrophobic? Yeah. Why don't we play this song about how you can check in anytime check in. you like? You can never leave. <laughs> but, you, but you can't leave. <laughs> you can never get out. <laughs> but when they started Hotel California, I didn't ask how long it was going to take. I was just, but I was assuming five minutes. So I was like, they're not even going to get to the end of the song, but they played like seven songs. So <laughs> great. All right. What are you getting? Elbow? I've had some outside elbow pain since like April on and off, and it got a little worse the last six weeks. So I went to see a physical therapist. Long story short, they did, I thought it was tennis elbow, but my tendons are fine. They did like a sonogram and it's my radial collateral ligament. She doesn't think it's fully torn, but she wants to make sure on an MRI. So that's that's what I'm doing on Do they call on that Friday. an RCL? Like an ACL? Like <laughs> yeah. RCL? It's similar. Yeah. It helps provide stability. Right arm? Left arm? It's my right arm. But yeah, it's been a little bit of a bummer lately for me. I can't really hit balls without... I'd call it like a three or four out of 10 on the pain scale, but I don't want to make it worse. So I'm going to do the right thing, get it evaluated, and hopefully get a, a rehab plan. But if they have Spotify, I know what I'm going to ask for. So I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> war. I want war on repeat. War. <laughs> or the Joe Esposito Greatest Hits album. Tell them hearts on fire and just have them check your heart while you're under there. Yeah. <laughs> like this guy's seizing up in here. He's going nuts. Yeah. But to answer your question, though, that a lot. What was the question? I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> what's next? What's what's okay? What yeah, look what's like? next season? And then yeah. we start talking about the off season. But I mean, my answer comes in two days. I'm very anxious to hear what the doctor says. Yeah, scary times. I'm like you, John. Like I can hit balls, and it's not that painful. But but then the MRI showed there is a tear. So it's it's how do you fix the tear? And I but you didn't get the doctor. You told me before we hit record, it's one of those things where like, I think this is crazy that doctors do this now where they give you access to your records before they give you a explanation yeah. of and it. Then, and then they're so busy. They're like, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, good. Let my mind run wild with whatever that dot is right there. Oh my God. I'm like the worst with that stuff. One, This happened to my wife once where they, she like got some scan and they like said something on her. It was unrelated, but they're like something on the liver and I like freaked out. And it took like five days for her to see the doctor. And he's like, oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but it's like they show it to you like days beforehand. You're like, why would you do this to people? You know, you're going to WebMD it and start freaking out. I had that happen with a freaking chiropractor. I had to go. I met with him in the morning. He took x-rays. And then I had to go to New York for like three days for meetings. And I got a phone call as I was getting on the plane. He's like, I am seriously concerned after looking at this x-ray. You need to call me immediately. <laughs> and he called me and he was like, man, you've got this thing. I'm looking at imagery that we took a couple years ago. I'm looking at what we took today. He was like, this could be. And he threw out a couple words that are that nobody wants to hear. And he's like, all right, I'll talk to you when you get back from New York. I was like, what? Oh, my God. For three days, I was losing my mind. And I, of course, I get back and I went straight to his office. I was like, what is it? Do I need to go ahead and pull the family together and tell my kids I love them? And 
he was like, oh, man, we had a blot on the imaging thing. I need to upgrade our lens. You're good. I was like, <laughs> man, like, what? Oh, my God. That is like my worst nightmare. That is the worst. I still don't remember what I was asking you. What do you guys get to do? All right. So let's say, Mike, you are okay and you don't need to get surgery. What's like the goal coming into or at least the process goal starting next season? So even if I don't, because I've already been preparing a little bit for the range of outcomes is it's either going to be three weeks or four months of mm. recovery, depending on how bad it is. I had a lead arm only uh, lesson today, working okay. on some lower body stuff. I've got a plan. We're going to keep working for sure. Eli's already had, what, three lessons with Larry? Yeah, I had a, today's Wednesday. I had my first lesson a week and a half ago. I had a lesson two days ago. I've got a simulator session tonight, and then I've got a lesson Friday. So Wow. So Larry's like on staff for you. Pretty much. I was like, you can't work with anybody else. Um, <laughs> this is like Haney Tiger. We're like, not going to change. work for me. <laughs> we're not gonna, I'm not going to compensate you for the lost revenue, but you can't work with anybody else. <laughs> I just can't wait for the book to come out. Like, you know how the, the big miss? It's going to be the big... <laughs> The big ham, the big, the big hamburger, <laughs> the big pastry. <laughs> it's gonna be called the big Texas. For me, we're working. You know, Larry's goal is pretty specific. We did some big swing overhaul stuff last off season, and it delayed us getting on the course for lessons. And Larry said, "You know, I'd really." He said, "When March hits, I'd really like to be spending the bulk of our time out on the course." So a lot of my stuff. I mean, not to go too far down the rabbit hole technical stuff but most of mine's body movement oriented you know i get a little sway in my backswing and so we're trying to work through that and just get a little deeper turn and you know just some things like that that were i think with a history of casting the club those are just all anti-casting moves that just help you know help a lot of other things slot up the right way but i signed up i mean literally larry and i's plan i think it's another 55 lessons this year and we go we basically go twice a week during the off season till about March. And then we go once a week after. And I did that. Wow. I did that the whole year. And it was I, when we sat down this year, I was like, uh, let's just run it back. I said, that was too good. Like, <laughs> we'll just, I was like, we'll just run it back again. It was, it was awesome. So that's what we're doing. Nice. I love it. Yeah. And then specifically, yeah, specifically for me, there's still some stuff, you know, some technical stuff in the swing, but honestly, a lot of, what we we did some technical things this year i think is about pouring the skill back in so there's a lot of i call them adam drills but we've got a lot of low point drills adam we got a lot of like a lot of the stuff that with strikes the differential stuff most of my time last year was doing some of these larger muscle moves but this year will, will be a lot of bringing back the skill so i'm excited about that that's more fun to me than the other ones 2024, the return of the skill. Love it. Return of the like, skill and the uncomfortable skill. Hmm. All right. Well, fellas, it's been real. Good seeing you guys, man. Yeah. Thanks we, for we having us. talking to you. Yeah. We need to get you guys to another event. Yeah, I would love to go. And Adam, I know you weren't able to come to the one, the other one that, that John was at. I still think you should come to an event in like a Obi-Wan, dressed in like a hood. <laughs> Be the guy dressed in white. <laughs> 
Have you seen that? The, uh, <laughs> yes. the I'm thinking of the Simpsons episode where there's why is that guy dressed in white while all these ninjas are flying around? <laughs> if you've seen that, or Simpsons you could just wear ref. a cape. Yeah, just wear a cape. You just, just wear a cape. You remember that Seinfeld where there's like, why is my dad with a guy with a cape? <laughs> Superman wore a cape. How many events are there going to be in 2024? Tentatively, four, four, four events. Four. Okay, and are they spread evenly throughout the year? Pretty evenly. We've got a March, okay. we've got a June, we got Ireland. Ireland's booked booked up in August, and then we'll coming back to North Carolina for October again. We're actually hosting we're pretty pumped about this, but in June You guys need to be a team. We're doing a two man tournament, like full deal, mm. like we wanted something crazy competitive. Honestly, after we did the tobacco road deal, it was like, gosh, two man events are just the funnest things on planet Earth. So we wanted like a, a crazy competitive two-man event. So wouldn't it be great if Adam and I like played that event and we just like implode on each other <laughs> and just do everything against what we've been saying the last three years? It'd and be like, like the bushwhackers when they broke up. Yeah. You know, it's like, like I'm like all, setting them up. I'm done. like setting them like, you need to cup your lead wrist over here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you all just broke up afterwards. We were like, that was the end of the sweet spot. It's done. The sweet spot after the podcast end. We played in an event together. <laughs> played one event together. <laughs> we met each other in person. That's how it ended. <laughs> You guys still haven't met in person? No, we still haven't met what? in person. Oh, come <laughs> Is that on. unbelievable? Okay. All right, it's got It's got to happen. It's in June in Kentucky. All right. Called let's... the Carl Tucky. It is very prestigious. <laughs> it's right up there with a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, to Adam's sure. credit, he's tried to facilitate it. They had just had that F1 event in Vegas, and Adam did invite me to that, and I, I couldn't make it happen. That that could have I been New nice. York. You went out to see Adam, and you guys haven't taken in the sphere yet? I mean, I figured that was at least – that would at Oh, least the U2 sphere. Yeah. I definitely want to go to the sphere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hopefully, we can make June happen or October. I think we'll circle those two dates on the calendar. Yeah. It'd be awesome. We would love that. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks, everyone. Where can everyone find Chasing Scratch? Give us your plugs and your locations. Chasing Scratch is on all of your, wherever you get your podcasts. Chasing Scratch on YouTube if you want to see anything. And then ChasingScratchGolf.com. If you're looking for some sweet foot joy gear, we've got some new foot joy gear up there on ChasingScratchGolf.com. So. Yeah, I saw the photo shoot. It looked pretty tight. Thank you. Adam, where can everyone find your goods and services. You can find my goods at adamyounggolf.com. Or you can, lots of the things that we talked about today, practicing, transferring, making swing changes, that's all in the practice manual, which is on Amazon. And John, where can people find you? You can check out the four foundations of golf and the forthcoming foundations of winning golf. Eli, it's, I'm going to dedicate it to Eli. I thought it was only one foundation. Well, I realize the foundations are going to go on forever. It's a <laughs> okay. series now. I it's thought, not stopping. I thought we could find you at Home Depot in the concrete so, section. So this is the fifth foundation? I is mean, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But it's. I'm going to keep producing foundations, I've decided. One request I have. Just think about it. When you're looking at the cover of the book, can you just sneak in a concrete concrete truck. somewhere please for us even if it's like a hologram or if you have to look at it backwards <laughs> like how the illuminati hide things and like yeah. currency and stuff if like, it's like that. a magic eye if i have to like <laughs> look at it and then back up like just something to <laughs> something to represent right. concrete i will talk 
I will talk to the the woman who does my design work and offer her that challenge. I think the next time we come on, if our discussion isn't interrupted with a read from like Quickcrete, I'm going to be really offended. <laughs> All right. I feel like Fair that's got to happen. Let's call out Quickcrete because Quickcrete sponsors the Braves. Quickcrete is on the Braves uniform. That's right. Quickcrete should be on your polos when you're in the Mid-Am next year. <laughs> I'm open. Guys, listen to the sweet spot unofficially Quick sponsored Crete, by I'm Quick open. <laughs> Just speak it into existence. We've been doing Quick fake Crete. reads. We've been doing fake reads for Jimmy John's for like 16 months. <laughs> Jersey Mike's. Or, I'm Jimmy. sorry, Jersey easy, Mike's. Easy. Jimmy John's. <laughs> we would never do a read for Jimmy John's. <laughs> sorry. I took my son to Jimmy John's last night. We've been doing fake reads <laughs> for Jersey Mike's for like 16 months. We just keep thinking that at some point they're going to jump on board, but I guess they like the free advertising apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't blame them. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks to everyone for getting through this. This episode took a lot more turns than they usually do, but I think that was a good thing. So thanks for everyone's support, their feedback, and we'll see you next time with a new episode.